0: Ooh, ooh, ooh. pastoral podcasts that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And what are we going to do today? We are going to fix a fable. All right. Uh, I still (laughs) think we need a little jingle. (laughs) Somebody said that we need like a drill in the background or a hammer. Or yeah, (laughs) jackhammer.
1: Yeah,
0: we'll get Mark on that one right away. Uh, So today we're gonna talk about, this one uh, someone wrote in and wanted us to address this passage, I think specifically with reference to the NAR, New Apostolic um, Movement. Um, But it's uh, Matthew 21, 21 through 22. Let me just read it and then give some introductory comments. It says, and Jesus answered and said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it shall happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Obviously a very famous passage uh, used infamously by prosperity preachers and the name it and claim it people. Uh, In fact, just do a quick internet search with this verse and include names like Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen, Leroy Thompson, Creflo Dollar, some of those folks, and you'll quickly discover what's often meant by word of faith theology. Uh, this passage, especially verse 22, along with Mark eleven twenty-three and John fourteen thirteen, are the go-to passages for uh, those kinds of people. Unfortunately, uh, they destroy the verse completely by ripping it from its context, and use it in a very destructive way. And by that, I mean uh, destruction of souls. They are perpetuating a false gospel. It's very dangerous. They twist scriptures to the eternal destruction of many people. And ironically, uh, they actually use the verse to perpetuate a false teaching that is teaching the very opposite point of what the passage is actually saying. That's not much of a shocker, but it's true, isn't it? It is. All right, so what does it mean? Well, let me, it's important here, like all things, to understand the context. You think um, they're going to notice that we always bring the context to bear? Well, is that, that's what makes something fabley. Yes. is You know, they, they rip it out of that. Uh, so, first of all, it is important to understand the context here. And so, first, the this verse here is tightly connected to that famous scene in which Jesus curses the fig tree. And so, in order to rightly understand what verse means, you have to understand, first of all, why Jesus curses a fig tree. But then second, in order to understand what Jesus is doing in cursing the fig tree, you also have to understand that the cursing of the fig tree is tightly connected to Jesus' actions of cleansing the temple. And so, it's a very symbolic event, if you understand what's going on there, where Jesus is essentially using the fig tree to demonstrate what he was about to do with that whole Judaic-Pharisaic-religious system. And So at this point in the life of Jesus, the the whole system of religious Judaism is so corrupt that Jesus is not at all interested in trying to reform it from within, uh, but rather he's come to just destroy the entire establishment. In fact, that's why he was continually attacking the religious system as well as the leaders of that system. Uh, The scribes were the interpreters of the system, they were the legal experts, so to speak. And then the Pharisees were the purveyors of that system. They're the ones who carried it out and you know, tried to implement it. And so Jesus shows almost no grace to any of these people. (laughs) Uh, He makes them a consistent target. He is intentionally confronting them and he is trying to agitate them. And he, as he often does so famously, traps them many times in their own words. And so he has come to topple down that entire religion and bring down the whole system, and starts with the
1: leaders. And so in light of that, here in Matthew, he cleans out the temple. Um, and then, immediately, he goes and curses the poor fig tree. Um, <laughs> what, again, it, what did it do? Yeah. Um, and I you was know, <laughs> like, whoa. Uh, but again, he wasn't just venting his anger. There was this, he, he was teaching something. Yes. It was, it's symbolic. Um, if you don't know, I didn't know this, a fig tree blossoms its flowers after it gives forth its fruit. And so here, the tree had blossomed its flowers, but it didn't have any fruit. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's worthless. Um, And so it was a very good parable, though, for Jesus to symbolically demonstrate how corrupt or how the corrupt system of Judaism uh, was fruitless uh, in its essence. It was a fruitless system. It was now apostate. And so just as this tree didn't bear fruit and therefore was cursed, Jesus was demonstrating that the fruitless region of the Pharisees was about to be destroyed too, because no it no longer bore this fruit,
0: yeah, uh, in fact, in Mark's account, um he does something called its a fancy term. it's called intercalation. It's actually a physics term, really uh, yeah, and he he structures his record of this event in a very brilliant way. He's famous for these yeah uh, styles of writing. So he he writes of Jesus cursing the fig tree, but then records Jesus immediately going and cleansing out the temple there. You remember he makes his whip, he calls them thieves, he overturns the tables. Uh, and so he's making a very public scene at that point to declare the evils of the nation. And so then after he cleanses out the temple, Mark then structures it so that he records Jesus revisiting that tree
1: with his disciples, and they then point out how the tree had become withered. So, he puts it in a different order. Yeah. Be, on purpose. It's not like, oopsie, this is proof that the Bible can't be trusted. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, and it's it, it's
0: it's difficult to know whether he structured it that way or in, in uh, like Matthew's event, he condenses the event. Um, we don't know which came first. So, he 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 revisits the tree there with his disciples it's become withered um and so he he's writing basically in a sandwich or this fancy term intercalation uh so you you see these two accounts with the fig tree the first is the cursing the second is showing how it's withered but then sandwiched in between is the cleansing of the temple and so the point to understand is that the fig tree episode is simply demonstrating Jesus' perspective now toward the corrupt religion of Judaism. Uh, It's now dead, it's fruitless and apostate, and so the point of the fig tree is to say that he has officially pronounced his curse.
1: All right, so in light of that, how do we understand verse 22? Well, he curses a tree, but then we see his disciples marveling at his power to do this, and so it's in response to their amazement that he then utters these words. He answered and said to them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it shall happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. So now that we understand the context, we can better understand what Jesus actually means. Essentially, This has everything to do with the disciples of Jesus carrying on the work of Jesus's ministry. So Jesus came to destroy the old system, but he was also building something new in its place, namely the church. And so not only were the disciples going to continue to confront this apostate system of Judaism long after Jesus had ascended, but they would also be in the business of building the church, that new people of God, And so, in light of that, we can certainly conclude that this has nothing to do with health or wealth or prosperity, nor does it have anything to do with seeing your own personal dreams for life or even for ministry come true. Rather, it's really all about faithfulness to building Christ's true kingdom, the church. In fact, you'll hear stories perhaps of pastors praying over a piece of land to build a building uh, or praying over a city to see revival or praying over this and that and trusting that God will bless it. But all they're really praying for is their own personal dreams to come true. Now, it's not like the prayers are necessarily wicked, right? Mm-hmm. But, but, it is, but this is not an incantation or some surefire technique for God to have to answer something he hasn't actually promised which is hard for some pastors to come to grips with and so a big mistake is that even non-health wealth and prosperity people will make this verse uh something that is uh it's not designed to be they they assume it's just because they have a desire that somehow god's desire uh is the same and so they will think that they pray enough or have enough faith in that prayer and they'll invoke this verse as their basis that god will somehow bless their desire.
0: Yeah, but, but this is not about praying harder.
1: You sure? <laughs> I,
0: yes. Uh, it's not about believing that God is going to f- fulfill your personal dreams and desires, uh, or even a great vision for what you might want to do for the kingdom. Rather, this is about understanding the true will of God, and then praying in accord to what he has already revealed. And so the question is, how do you do that? How do you understand his will? Well, the way you understand this is by understanding what he's already revealed in the Bible. So the more mature and grounded that you are in the scriptures, then the more you're gonna understand what his will is for his church. Further, as you begin to grow in Christ, then your desires are gonna begin to line up and begin to conform to his revealed will in the word. And so we, we would say, if you don't rightly understand the word, then you won't rightly understand the will of God. And if you don't rightly understand the will of God, then your prayers won't be in line with what he has actually promised to answer. In other words, the way to apply the principle of this verse to your life is is very simple. Uh, We would just say it's learning to pray biblical prayers. Um, the, The word of God, of course, is God's word, and so he can't actually deny it Uh, He's always faithful to his own word and will always, therefore, bring about the promises that are in his word. And so if you simply pray the word of God back to God, then you know, I mean, you have that confidence that your prayer will be answered, and it's that simple.
1: Yeah, and so nowhere is there uh, something in the Bible where God promised you a house or a jet or a building or some size ministry or health or even a revival. Rather, he has promised to build his church. But the key is to understand that he will build it in his way and in his timing. And so our only job is simply to be faithful to what he has called us to do in the midst of that. And if you listen to us for any length of time, then you know that what we mean by faithfulness is simply that boring stuff of scripture. We know what God wants us to do, and so we simply need to be faithful in that. And that's that's, that's such a good point. Um, we're always looking for the exciting things, right? And, yeah. and so we never quite get around to loving our wife <laughs> um, or training our children or whatever it might be. But that's what we're called to be faithful in. Mm-hmm. And so in the media context, uh, this would have been a great encouragement to his disciples who would still be needing to deal with the apostate system of Judaism. We're not really uh, dealing with that in our day. But the context is still about Jesus' promise to fulfill his mission to build his church. And he will do it through the faithful disciples. And so when we pray his word back to him, we know that he will grant those requests because he cannot deny himself. So as we're praying that God will build his church, we know he will. Um, Our job is then figure out what we're called to do in, in this situation right here. And that is simply be faithful to his revealed will in the scripture and do it. Right. Uh, so in fact, here's just a simple example of how Jesus wants us to pray and therefore a prayer that he will actually answer. Uh, Luke 10, 2 says, and he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, it's a very simple principle, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying that there are many who will come to Christ, but the great problem is that there are few willing to go and bring them the gospel. We think about that in our own context and our passion to plant churches. Many ch- pastors dream of planting a church, but the problem is they have no faithful men to do it. Well, Jesus says all you have to do is simply pray for these faithful men to show up. He will provide for them because he's told us, pray, pray. Um, And so, it's that simple. The key, however, is that you must pray in faith, meaning you must trust that Jesus will actually be faithful to answer this promise. And so, if you don't pray it while believing the promise, then Jesus will still answer it. He just won't answer it the way you want him to. He'll answer it with somebody else. This is a lot like that one we did in James where you know, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously without reproach. But then he says, but let that man ask in faith. Right. Right? Um, if you don't, he says, let not that man expect you'll receive anything because you're not getting squat. <laughs> right. right? right? Exactly because you're, right. you're basically saying you're a liar. You You say we need laborers, then ask God to provide them. He, he promises he will. Yeah. yeah. What a concept. <laughs> Yeah, so,
0: so that's the essence of the verse. Uh, its immediate application, of course, was to the disciples, but the principle still holds true for us as disciples 2,000 years later. Uh, Jesus was tearing down that old system and building his new kingdom. His primary means of building the kingdom would be through his disciples, but the way they were to be fruitful in that task was by praying prayers consistent with the will of Jesus in the building of his church. Um, and in fact, just to close, this is exactly why Jesus can say in John fourteen thirteen these words, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. So, so he's going away, he needs people to carry on this work, and so whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me
1: anything in my name, I will do it again a promise but Um, it's not a carte blanche one it's not we don't just tack on the words i ask in jesus name right that that somehow now god's like oh we're going to give you the riches beyond dreams or something like that yeah
0: and invoking his name just saying the name of jesus that it's not the point his name (laughs) it's not an incantation in other words uh, rather, to ask in his name is simply a statement that means that anything that we ask consistent with his will and desire, he will be faithful to answer.
1: And so that that's the passage. Kind of lets you realize then how many times we've asked for things that we didn't get. We can have confidence that either we did not ask in faith or we did not ask consistent with his will. Yeah. Would you say that's a that's reasonable summation? Absolutely. So that's that's the passage. Um We'd love for you guys
0: to send in more. Uh, Let us know some passages that you have questions on or that you're curious about, and we'll do our best to answer.